0: Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu.
1: Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in and we're
2: determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the
3: headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with 5 Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN 5 Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as 5 Things. Listen to 5 Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.
5: This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, the show where America is the star and the American people. Up next, a story from our True Diversity series, sponsored by the great folks at the Philanthropy Roundtable, the leading association for charitable giving in America. Their True Diversity campaign is a clarion call for valuing all of us as the unique individuals that we are. Today, we meet Mike Gonzalez a member of their campaign, and a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He was born in Cuba. Here's his family's story.
3: I have a a photo of my great-grandparents in my study, taken in 1921, and this is my only set of Cuban great-grandparents. And they were really the Cuban establishment. They went back to the first uh, Spanish uh, ships to arrive in Cuba in 1511. My great grandfather was elected to the first Havana City Council in 1905 after uh, the war with Spain and, and the U.S. Uh, intervention, and none of their descendants are Cuban. None of the all of the descendants are here in the United States, and they're all one fourth Cuban, one half Cuban, one eighth Cuban. They have disappeared as a Cuban family. This is a very Cuban establishment family that has given their offspring to the United States and they're they're all happy Americans. In a way, that is a a success story. That's a very good story. But it also means that 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 has been lost. Cuba, the the reason why I I talk about this is is that you had uh, what can only be described as cultural genocide. Uh, A friend of mine... In New York, two weeks ago, described it this way. He said, if you walk along the streets of Havana and you point to a beautiful building, you can be assured that the architect who drew the plans, the lawyer who worked on the plans, the family who bought the house, and the doctors of the family have all fled. They're all here in the United States. It's the same story as my great-grandparents. They're all like Cameron Diaz. They're all one quarter Cuban and one half Cuban, uh, and and all of the all the people who made Cuba, left, and and so Cuba has become this unrecognizable place. To me, I mean, I, I'd never been back. I, I left fifty years ago, and I doubt I will ever go back. My grandfather was a a a, a politician, a, a lawyer, and a journalist. Uh, he was a, an essay writer. Who was very anti-Batista, fought against Batista for decades. Batista was a fixture of Cuban politics from the 1930s to 1958. Batista was elected president, freely elected in 1940, and then he had a coup d'état in 1952. My grandfather, who died in 1954, was a, a man who fought against him. Had to to flee to the countryside several times. My father would tell me these stories. I never met him. And hide in the countryside so he wouldn't be taken away. Uh, Batista sent policemen to my house in which uh, my grandmother would open the drawers and show them boxes of soap, saying, as you can see, all I have here is soap. But inside those boxes of soap, (laughs) there there was ammunition. And then you had my father who was anti-Batista as well, and was thrown into prison. My father taught law at university, and when Castro declared uh, himself as a communist, Castro had always denied that he was a communist, while well, he was a rebel. My, my, my parents knew Castro. Well, my, my mom and dad met in law school, and they met Castro in law school. Castro was a lawyer. And uh, when Castro became declared himself a communist after the revolution had succeeded, my father quit his chair position as a law professor at the university, and they um, sent armed and uh, a delegation with weapons to my house to try to, quote-unquote, convince my dad to go back to university, and he was very resolute. He said, well, in a country where there's communism, there's no law for me to teach here. So that was it. Uh, was penalized, but he was not able to get the a proper diet. He was diabetic. The day he died, the equipment that might have saved his life was being used on a Soviet officer by the hospital. The, the hospital only had one machine. Uh, you know, I was young by then; I was eleven years old. We had a farm that the government took away, and and, and it was used as a, it was a very nice place. My aunts were married there. And it was used as a, as a place to, to entertain uh, Soviet generals for a time after they took it away from us. But I think the, 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 the loss that I think I'd like to emphasize is not just the material possessions, it's, it's the, the cultural genocide aspect of things. Communism must always destroy what comes before it. In the case of Pol Pot in Cambodia, he actually declared the, the year when he entered Phnom Penh as year one. Uh, the Bolsheviks hated everything that was Russian and destroyed it. The Cultural Revolution hated everything that was Chinese and sought out to destroy it. When I lived in Hong Kong, for example, I we used to uh, go and shop in Hollywood Road. Hollywood Road is the, the street in Hong Kong where all the antiques are sold. And you would come across a lot of uh, furniture where people have been painted on furniture, in and, and dressers, or uh, and, and the faces in many of these pieces of furniture have been erased. And the reason for that is that the Red Guard entered people's homes and erased the faces of, of, of people, even on furniture. Uh, that's to, to what degree communism must exterminate whatever culture precedes it, so, so so, what happened in Cuba is what happened in many other countries that have had this great tragedy of communism. This what can happen here.
5: And what a story you're hearing from Mike Gonzalez. Communism must always destroy what comes before it, he said. Also, his grandfather quit the law because under communism, there is no law. When we come back... More from Mike Gonzalez, a part of our True Diversity series, brought to us by the Philanthropy Roundtable, here on Our American Stories. Here at Our American Stories, we bring you inspiring stories of history, sports, business, faith, and love. Stories from a great and beautiful country that need to be told. But we can't do it without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love our stories in America like we do, please Go to ouramericanstories.com and click the donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Help us keep the great American stories coming. That's ouramericanstories.com. Witness
2: the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. feels just right. Don’t miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 pm Eastern, only on iheart Radio’s YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025QX80 coming this summer.
0: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long.
4: sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places
5: And we continue with our American stories and with Mike Gonzalez's story as part of our True Diversity series. As a kid Mike was fortunate to escape communist Cuba. First to Spain and later to America. He now brings us back
3: to his day of escape. Uh, It happened uh, uh, over 50 years ago, but I don't think I will ever uh, forget it. We were woken up early, uh, dressed, uh, put a tie on and a jacket even though I was 12. One got dressed to go on airplanes in those days. Even though it was my first airplane flight, I wore a jacket and a tie we said goodbye to the grandmother who had raised me, uh, who never to see her again. The woman who gave me a, a glass of milk every night, who woke me up every day, who, 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 who practiced uh, verbal conjugations with me, uh, and I said goodbye to her, never to see her again. Then we drove over to see my mother's parents, who were in tears, in absolute tears, as they said goodbye to her. Uh, even though she was going to to Spain uh, their their land of origin and I couldn't understand why my mom ma- my mother and her parents were crying to me it was the happiest day of my life uh, and it was the happiest day of my life well barring my my wedding uh, and, and the birth of my three children of course but but it was a very happy day of my life. so I couldn't really understand uh, why they were so... It was such consternation. And then we got to the airport and uh, and we were all there, all held up in a room and my mother whispered in my ear when we start walking towards the plane, if the authorities call me back you and your sister Lucy run to the plane and you get on the plane the plane is an Iberian airplane, it belongs to the kingdom of Spain and you ask for asylum. Don't Turn back! Don't look at me. Just run as fast as you can and get on that plane. I don't like to discuss these things. They're they're, they're hard. They're hard memories. Uh, uh, I I don't enjoy talking about them in the least. I, I arrived in Spain at the age of twelve, a few months after the death of my father, and uh, I really realized then what shells were for. And in stores, I saw shells. With actual merchandise, I had never ever seen that. No, I lie. I had seen it once before in Cuba, in a photo my father showed me, and 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 I was shocked to see cans of food, and sacks of flour, in the shelves of the store. Because I had I never saw that in Cuba, never ever. Uh, when meat would arrive at the at the butchers every every person every adult left the house to go line up to get whatever and if you if you were the last one to line up uh then you could only get ground beef and have to eat picadillo because everything else was gone um it depends where you were in line there were lines everywhere the only thing communists produce they don't they, no, they never produce bread they only produce bread lines and i remember my um My mother, uh, when we arrived in Spain and we're working on, by the way, let's not forget that Spain at this time in 1972 is itself a poor country. And yet it was like pure heaven compared to Cuba. (coughs) And I remember pointing to this very strange fruit and asking uh, the store owner what it was. And my mother breaks into tears and she asks the store owner, "Can, can I hold it? and he lets me hold it, and my mother was crying because it was a pineapple. And it had been produced in Cuba, obviously, because Cuba was a tropical island before, and I had never in my life seen a pineapple, nor did I have any idea of what one looked like. At the age of 12. So that gives you some idea of the kind of, of, of poverty that communism produces. But it's, it's, it's again, the real impoverishment... That communism causes is an impoverish is a spiritual, a spiritual impoverishment, and a cultural impoverishment. That is the the the, the one that really is the worst. Um, you know, the the, the, the idea that they can not be any god, uh, that they cannot be god, because because that takes away the, a place where Castro or the Communist Party should be in your heart. One thing that God gives you is hope. God gives you hope, and 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 communists don't want you to have hope. Marxists don't want you to have hope uh, because it's only when you're hopeless that you will launch the revolution they desire. Uh, they want you to to feel completely bereft of any any feeling that your situation will improve. So they will. Um, They really do go after God for that reason. Uh, That again runs against human nature. One thing we do know about human nature is that we all have religion. You can arrive at an unknown island today and the only thing you will know for sure is that they have music and religion. So I think the empty shelves in the cultural marketplace are are much more searing to the human condition, to, to man, than the empty shelves of the bodega. Look, I came to America in 1974 and I landed in Queens, New York. And everybody, Queens, New York, the, the neighborhood where I lived, was really a a, 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 a you had a multitude of people, mostly of European ancestry, but people didn't think of themselves that way. They, they were either Irish and Italian or Polish or Cuban or Puerto Rican. And, and by the way, there was, a, there, there was a, a name, usually a bad name. Everybody was something. It was a bad term associated with all these groups. Everybody. <clears throat> Everybody was something. We have vastly improved on that. That is no longer really the case. And I think that's a vast improvement from the America that I arrived in and that we don't put up with racial epithets. We don't think they're funny. We don't think they're part of polite society. And I think that that is a that has been a very, very good thing that has happened in this country. <clears throat> but now what we have over the last 20 or th- at least 10 years, is, is so. so we, what we did in the last quarter of the 20th century was de- try to de-racialize society, try to de-racialize ourselves. And I think we succeeded with that. But now we're re-racializing. We're going back to thinking that a person is his race. But there's a word for this. It's called essentialism. Essentialism means that that we are our race. You represent whatever national origin you are or I my I, I, I come from very different ancestors. I come from ancestors who were Cubans, I come from ancestors who were Spanish. I come from wealthy people. I come from poor people. I come from the lord of the manor, I come from the Serbs, and, and, and I am who I am, not only because of that DNA, but also because of the things that I have done, the outcomes of the decisions that I have made since, since I, I, I became an adult, and even as a teenager. If you make better decisions overall than bad decisions, you're gonna have a, a good shot uh, in life but has nothing to do with DNA, has nothing to do with race. Any scheme, whether it's charitable or government or educational, that is based on race, that is based on the idea that people are ambassadors and spokesmen for their race, is going to fail and fail miserably because it is not true. We have to save America from this. We only look at the lessons of what happened in Cuba, what happened in China, what happened in Cambodia, in order that we can save what we have here, the land of the free. And
5: you've been listening to Mike Gonzalez share with you his story. And my goodness, what a story he told here. A special thanks to the folks at the Philanthropy Roundtable. This is a part of our True Diversity series. Communists don't produce bread, they produce bread lines. And he went on to emphasize, Mike, that it's not just material poverty, but worse is the spiritual poverty that communism demands. There can't be God, because Castro has to be in your heart, he said. God gives you hope. Communists don't want you to feel hope. Mike Gonzalez's story, the story of so many refugees from Cuba, Eastern Bloc countries, and countries around the world, here on Our American Stories
1: Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History class. Let's go places.